Jesus spoke to his contemporaries, as he spoke to the religious leaders, as he spoke to the poorest people, as he spoke to the rich, as he spoke to his disciples, as he spoke to those who hated him. He always told the truth. And here we see in that text out of John 10 how, how Jesus was, he, they, the, the religious leaders of his day were saying, would you just tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Like they would have believed him. He's like, I've told you already and you don't believe. I've done amazing works that can only be attributed to the person and work of God and you refuse to accept my test, the testimony that those work, works profess. Jesus reserved his announcement of being the Christ. Really, it's, it's, I love how he does it. To the religious leaders, he's like, listen, you should know. To the woman at the well in John 4, he says plainly, I am the Christ, right? I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the one. And, and, and Jesus desires to be known. And so whether it's the first century, the 21st century, there's all kinds of questions about Jesus and about the gospel and about, about uh, what church is all about and what is salvation. And, and the, the more and more that we drift from the, the moorings of Scripture, the more and more, the more, and more our, our society as a whole just doesn't allow itself to be exposed to the teaching of God's Word the more people are going to be asking those questions. And I think that we are called to be those who can answer those questions. So we're going to, we're going to be studying now uh, for the next number of weeks to months. I really don't know. I haven't, I haven't planned it all out. But uh, from darkness to light, a study in 1 John. We're going to see, just as Jesus was talking to his, the people of his day, that John, the author of, of, of the 1 John uh, letters, was speaking to the people of his day and and we, in turn, should be able to learn from these, this, this study of how we can speak to those who need to come from darkness into light. I want to ask two questions today, and the first one is this. Which gospel do you believe in? All right, this is a multiple-choice answer. I don't have the choices in front of you. Just think of all the different gospels that are out there. Go ahead. You know, just uh, which, which gospel do you believe in? And some of you are probably like, hey, is there more than one? The bad news is, yes, there is. It's actually a yes or no response, but the fact is there, are, there is more than one gospel. It's called false gospels, and there are many of them. And, and, and John is going to be addressing this as, as we uh, go into his letter. The good news is that there is only one genuine gospel, but again, the bad news is people seek to pervert it. That's what we're told by Paul in Galatians 1. We're going through Galatians as part of our afternoon devotional time, so we invite you to join us as we go through this text. We've already covered this text uh, during that time. But notice Paul. Paul doesn't mince words. He gets right to the point. He says, I marvel that you, Galatians, the, the, the believers in the church in Galatia, right? I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, speaking of Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is speaking to a group of people that he loves, and he's saying, listen, you're being, you're, you're being drawn away to a different gospel. So there's the real gospel, which we'll talk about in a minute, but there's a different gospel. And they're in danger of being drawn away to it. 
He says it's not really another gospel. It's not on the same playing field. It's not on the same level as the true gospel. But nonetheless, people are turning to it, thinking that it's good news, when actually it's a perversion of the good news. And folks, these gospels are out there, and we ought to be able to recognize them. And I think going through this study will help us recognize the differences that exist between the true gospel and the false gospels. But I thought, as we're talking about this, why don't, why don't we just talk about what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We talk about it all the time. I do not give an a invitation at the end that, uh, of every service. I, I, just, I've, uh, I have my own reasons for that. Um, sometimes I wish I was like, man, today, that would have been a great day to have an invitation, right? So I'm inviting you right now, whether it's during the service or during my sermon, or whether it's at the end when the music is playing, if, if you come to understand what the gospel is for the first time, would you just confess to, your, to God your sins, that you're a sinner? And would you come to faith in what Jesus Christ has done? The invitation is always open to, to give your life to Christ, to, to receive His grace so that you can have your sins forgiven, all right? So we're going to talk about it. So I want to just talk briefly. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I thought it's, it would be helpful to just go to the most familiar text on it as John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, talking about the people, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whoever means that if you're here today, whether in this room or joining us online, that no matter what your sin has been, no matter how small or how great, it's all sin. It can all be forgiven. But you don't know. Yes, I do. I mean, I know yours, but I know the extent of the depravity of man. I know that mankind has sinned all kinds of sin, but Jesus is the Son of God, and He is able to pay for all sin of all time, of all people. That's the good news of the gospel, because God loves us. He sent His Son, and whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is what people think. People think God is is condemning God. No, he's a holy God. We sang about that. He's a holy God, and therefore sin must be dealt with appropriately. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, speaking of Jesus, might be saved. It's a glorious gospel that we believe. And I'm going to show you this slide. I've showed it to you in the past. I'll show it to you from time to time. This is just my way of working through the gospel. And if this is new for you, we invite you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Simply put, as we start at the top left, work our way down and then over and up, we see that God, the holy God, the creator God, created man. He was sinless. He was perfect. He created man, male and female. Adam and Eve fell into sin. They disobeyed the direct command of God and they sinned. And what we find out from Scripture is that when sin took place, death entered the world. Death came by sin. And, and so we live in a, in a sin-cursed world. But praise God that we know the gospel and God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross not for his sins, because he was sinless. He is sinless. He lives today. And he sent him to die on the cross, and he died, 
And he was buried and he was resurrected on the third day in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died for their sins on the cross, will receive eternal life. Going through the gospel like that, I don't know about you, it's fun for me. I really enjoy God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. I struggled forever to memorize the Romans wrote. I said, now which, which verse do I go to next? And what, what is it? Now listen, let's just talk to them about God and talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about their sin and talk to them about how they can be forgiven. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is essential for us as we go into this study. So uh, I asked you the question, which gospel uh, do you believe in? Here's another question. Which Jesus do you believe in? Go ahead. Multiple choices again, right? Figure out which Jesus is out there that you want to pick from because there are many. Is there more than one Jesus? Yes and no. Yes in the sense that there are false Jesuses out there. I had to Google how to pluralize Jesus. All right. If you ever wondered that, the plural, the plural form of Jesus is E-S on the end, and there you go. There are multiple Jesuses out there that you can come to faith in, that you can choose. You literally can go to a smorgasbord of Jesuses and pick the one that you want. Which one do you want? Do you want the Jesus that is all God and not man? Do you want the Jesus that's all man and not God? Do you want the Jesus that's a good example of how to live your life? Or do you want the Jesus of Scripture? The Jesus that was revealed in the Bible, who is the only genuine Jesus, the only Son of God. And why, why am I asking you about these false gospels and these false Jesuses? Why is that coming up? Because John is going to be dealing with some of this stuff. Consider what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. We know how messed up the Corinthian church was. We just finished our study of 1 Corinthians not too long ago. He says in in another letter, he says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Paul, once again, pouring out his heart to these uh, dysfunctional Corinthians that we should identify with more than we probably do. Right? For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin, uh, virgin, (laughs) virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul is saying, Corinthians, we've been down this road. This this particular doctrine, you're erring in it, I'm going to correct it. Another one, you're you're erring in it, I'm going to correct it. Now he's saying, listen, I'm fearful for you that that maybe somehow, as a serpent deceived Eve, you will be, your minds will be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, all right, there we see another Jesus. He's talking about these false teachers. Paul dealt with them, John's going to be dealing with them. He says, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom, you have, uh, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, it gets worse. There's false spirits out there which you have not received, or a different gospel. There's the different gospel again, uh, which you have not accepted. Notice he says, you may well put up with it. Paul is saying, I know you, Corinthians. You're weak. You, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, how's that hymn go? Uh, 
Lord, I, I wander. Lord, um, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Uh, I, I love that hymn and those because they're so convicting. We are so prone to, to allow the sin in our life to just kind of like dis, di, distract us from what it is we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And, and Paul says to the Corinthians, listen, I'm fearful you may go after these false gospels, false spirits, false Christs. You very well may put up with it. So Paul was concerned for the Christians, uh, the, the Christians in Corinth. Uh, and would they believe in a different Jesus? Would they believe in a different gospel? But John was also concerned for Christians as well. And as we, as we segue into, into a study of uh, 1 John, I, I want to just, first of all, we're going to give you some background to it. Uh, it's normal background stuff. I'll try to highlight some stuff. Uh, some of this will come across academic it's part of the conveying of, of the background and, and, the, and the context of the Scripture. In order for us to fully con- uh, live out the, the, uh, the commands of Scripture, we must understand the Scripture in its context. And, and some of that is, is the background. So, so as we know so much about Corinthians and Paul, let's understand what was going on in the life of John and in his, in his context, all right? So here's some background information, very general. John is believed to be the author, but he does not state it. When I said he's believed to be the author, he's by conservative Christians that whole have a high view of Scripture. The majority of, of uh, uh, the traditional view is that John is the author of First John, Second John, and Third John, as well as the Gospel of John, as well as Revelation. But John is not high on himself. He doesn't necessarily give his name very often. He uses descriptive names like the disciple that Jesus loved. He says in the Gospel. We see that he wrote this letter. I put the letter in quotes because it's not like the letters of Paul. It's not even like Second and Third John. He doesn't identify himself. He doesn't really identify his audience. He just kind of like jumps right into it, right? And so we'll, we'll look at that. It's more of a, maybe an encyclical letter, a letter that was written for a group of churches to travel from church to church. And, and John, as an apostle, would have the authority to say, here, here I'm going I'm to write this, this treatise, this letter. Uh, just, I'm going to send it out and let it minister to who it's going to minister to because what he's addressing is really characteristic of the Christian life and the, and, the, and the world that we have around us. He wrote the letter near the end of the first century, so John was an old man at this point. It was likely written for multiple churches to read. I just mentioned that. There is a strong connection, and we're going to look into this in a little bit more in detail. There's a strong connection between 1 John and the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and you would think that would make sense. That's one of the reasons that people believe that John is the author of 1 John is because there's so much uh, in common with the, uh, the Gospel of John. So we're going to look at uh, both. One of the things they have in common is they both have prologues. All right, so we're going we're gonna to look into the prologues, the, the beginning portions of the books. Now, I was thankful uh, during the first service. I could not remember how many of you have ever heard of the show Dragnet. I'm talking the original version, not, not the, okay, all right. All right, Dragnet, put those hands back up. I want to see this again, all right. How many of you remember, uh, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. How many of you remember the first version of the show? Because they're what? Okay, some of you are watching the newer one. That's okay. Uh, I don't know if they do it in the newer one. In the original one, though, you'd be watching it, and it would say prologue. I don't remember that as much of that, but they give it like little chapter breaks as you go through. And I always remember epilogue, because that's when I was like, ah, oh, the show's almost over, right? It's almost done. And so whatever reason, John is fond of writing prologues. 
He's writing at the beginning of, his, of the gospel. We're going to look at that in depth. And he writes at the beginning of 1 John. And he's, and he's kind of like, I, don't, I won't say teasing us. He's just giving us a taste of what's going to come next, right? So let's look at the prologue of John's gospel. I don't think we can read this text too often. I think it's wonderful. We read it not too long ago. But John 1, 1 through 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that it was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is speaking of John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. These are powerful words. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But the good news of the gospel is, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You want to be, a, you want to be in close relationship with God? Confess your sins to him. Acknowledge Jesus as, as the Savior of, who died for your sins. And you become a child of God. That's one of the similarities between the gospel of John in the letter of John. He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Actually, I think the prologue all goes through 17, but I decided to pause there because there's so many similarities between the prologue of, of John's gospel and the prologue of the first epistle as well as the remainder of the epistle of 1 John. And so let's just, it's only, one of the differences between the two is this one's only four verses. And this is the, the these four verses are the verses we're going to focus on for the remainder of our time together this morning. So we see in 1 John 1, notice the similarities that take place. First of all, it says, that which was from the beginning. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here we have that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And your version may say uh, our joy, and and we'll get there uh, towards the end of our time together. So here's, here's really, as we launch into this, as we think about this big idea, this is for today, but it's also going to kind of be the overriding principle or the overriding thought as we go through the whole text of 1 John. It's our Christian faith and fellowship must be anchored in the divinity 
and the humanity of Jesus Christ. All right? Our Christian faith. Do we have Christian faith this morning? Well, I've in, we've invited you to come to faith in the, gospel, in the gospel, right? To believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about of faith. But what about our fellowship? What does that mean? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I want to unpack this, and we'll do it in two, two portions. We'll talk about, first of all, our Christian faith. What are we supposed to believe as Christians? All right? First of all, we see that our Christian faith is founded on apostolic witness. When John wrote all his writings... He's an apostle. By penning the words, by writing the words down, as an apostle, he has authority. Now, the authority he has is vested in him from God through the power of the Holy Spirit to put the words on paper. But when we talk about our Christian faith, we come to this faith because we have apostolic witness. Not just John, but all the apostles. Look what he says. He says, "...that which was from the beginning..." Notice all, I'll just go with the gold highlights here. He's like, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. He goes on and says, we have seen, we bear witnesses understood. And finally, he says, we have seen and heard. Paul, uh, excuse me, John is saying, listen, I'm not alone in this. I didn't make this up. This is something that I can tell you. I have seen Jesus. We'll talk more about this, about how we know this is Jesus. But I'm not the only one. All the other apostles have seen him as well. We are the ones that are proclaiming who he is. So we see that our Christian faith is founded on apostolic witness. It's not founded on the witness of someone who died hundreds of years, over a thousand years from the time of Jesus walking the earth. There is a group that, is, uh, that, that uh, believes that they have the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the restored church. Because somehow, in some fashion, the gates of hell prevailed against the church, and it, and it failed, and it came off the scene, and there was some need for a, 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 a restored church to come. It's like, that's not what the Bible teaches The gates of hell will not prevail against the church because it's Christ's church. So we're not founded upon somebody's testimony that came many, many years after. Our faith is grounded upon the people who walked and talked and learned from Jesus. This is the authority we have. It's not our authority. It's the authority we have to point to the people who were there. They were eyewitnesses. There's all kinds of other false gospels out there. I just shared one, and, 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 but there's many more. Our faith believes in the divinity of Jesus. I, I'm just telling you right now, we're going to talk about the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. One of the core tenets of our faith is that we believe in the divinity of Jesus. All right? So when you consider 1 John 1, 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning. Well, remember John's gospel prologue. Is this the same beginning? In the beginning was the Word, right? That's talking about Jesus Christ eternally in the past. Eternally existing, right? The eternality of Christ, the eternality of the Father and the Spirit, that's deep theology, but it's it's truth. In the beginning of everything, Jesus was there. Is that what John is saying? Well, this is likely not what John is saying. John's gospel is saying it, but 1 John is more than likely saying something different, and I'll explain that as we go through. 
It, it does state very clearly, as we talk about the divinity of Jesus Christ, it's that, notice, it says, uh, I'll read it, the life was manifested, we'll go into depth a little bit, a little bit later about this life, what this means, but the life was manifested, and we have seen, there is a, uh, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, those three words, that eternal life is very specific. It's, it's talking about a person. It's not talking about just this, some life. It's talking about the life. It's talking about Jesus Christ. You can put the name of Christ in there, and it makes sense. And bear witness and declare to you, Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Right here, we see the union of Christ's deity and his humanity. It took place in John, right? The, the Word is God, and He became flesh and dwelt among us. And He was not recognized. He was not received. Here we see that eternal life, Jesus Christ, is with the Father. That's eternity past, as well as manifested to us, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Manifestation, to come into being. This is, this is Christology. This is this is something that we are called to understand. It says later on, with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, we are able to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son. The, 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 the divinity of Jesus Christ should never be questioned. He is God's Son. We don't doubt God. We should not doubt His Son as being divinity. So this is our Christian faith, founded on apostolic witness, it, it, we hold to a divinity of Jesus, but we also believe in the humanity of Jesus, and that's where we're going to, that's the point that John is drawing our attention to, specifically. Notice, he begins the text. Notice these words. That which was from the beginning. Remember, we said this isn't the normal letter. It's not Paul, an apostle of Christ to the Romans. It's not any, any sort of that. He just jumps right in. That which was from the beginning. What are you talking about, John? What was from the beginning? All right? The beginning of what? Is this the same as John 1? And I've already established it's not. John's talking about the, the gospel's talking about the eternality of Jesus. This is talking about the, the humanity of Jesus. Notice, I want to talk to you about the structure of 1 John. This is the easiest way I've, I've come across to explain this. This is through my reading. It's my, my structure, but I think it represents what I've been reading uh, and studying about. First of all, what we want to understand is we're always interested in verbs when we're coming to the Word of God, right? What, whatever the action is, that's what we want to know. Well, the action for this particular four verses doesn't happen until verse 3. This is the main verb of, the whole, of all four verses. We declare to you. Well, what is being declared? And there's five uh, relative uh, clauses that come into place, right? Relative pronouns that introduce a clause. We declare to you, first of all, verse 1, which was from the, that which was from the beginning. We declare to you that which we've heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we look upon and our hands have handled, and that which we have seen and heard. There's five relative pronouns there, five relative clauses, all tied to the verb. And if we want to understand more clearly what this first one means, right, the very first words, right, which, were, um, which are that which was from the beginning, what are you talking about? Well, let's take a clue from the rest of these, all right? What's he talking about? Well, we've heard something, we've seen something, we've looked upon something, we've handled something, we've seen something, and we've heard something. John is very intent on communicating something with these other four relative uh, clauses, and that's this. Jesus Christ was physical. 
He had a physical body. We've seen him. We've touched him. He goes on to say, we've heard his voice. We've heard his teaching. The, the humanity of Jesus is what Paul's bringing out. And Excuse me, John. John is bringing out. I'll do that a lot, I'm sure. John's bringing out. He's saying, we declare to you that which was from the beginning. The beginning of what? More than likely, what John is pointing out in 1 John is the beginning of his earthly ministry, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The apostles were there. To be a considered apostle of Jesus Christ, you had to be there when he was walking around. You had to be there. When, uh, uh, and you remember later on in the text, we, we see they were looking to replace Judas, and they were like, who was there all the way back to the baptism? And so, so uh, and Matthias was chosen. So there were some you know, credentials people had to have to be considered apostles. But what we can see here is that the, John and the other apostles are declaring that Jesus was from the beginning. They've heard him. They've seen him. They've looked upon him. They've handled him. They've seen him and they heard him. He's getting the, uh, the point across. As the gospel of John points to, to his eternal past, this is talking to the reality of his presence in their lives and in the world. Why is this something we have to focus on? Well, we've already established the fact that there are false Christs out there. All right? So all this is the way it, words out, it works out in those verses, that which was from the beginning. All right? We've, seen, we've covered that. He's physical. He's human. He was real. He wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a spirit. He didn't appear to be human, but wasn't human. This is some of the early church heresies that were going on. And what we see, the heresies that were dealt with later in church history, had their seed even in this first century. But we see, he mentions concerning the word of life. Well, what is this word of life? Uh, What we see is, one, is this the same word as in John 1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Is it the same word? Well, Notice, yes and no, all right? And so the fact is, life, the word life stands for Jesus as I understand it. Why? Because the next portion of Scripture is going to focus on that life that was manifest. So I I think there's a few ways we can look at this. And depending on what version you have, uh, the words are going to show up either as it is up top there, uh, capital W, little l, capital W, big L, or little w and big L. All three are out there in the translations, right? Because the capitalization is not in the text. So, so, but when we're talking about Jesus, we know the word of John 1, gospel of John 1. We know that's talking about Jesus. Here, what we see, oh, here what we see is a word of life, and then it picks up here. The word of life, one, was manifested. We have seen the, the, the word of life has, uh, we bear witness to. We declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifest to us. John takes this little, it's very uh, difficult Greek, right? I'm so thankful for people that know Greek and then can give us good, solid translations of what we have. But we see that in verse 2, John just takes this little segue to kind of flesh out, pun intended, life. What is this life? I used to be on the safe side because I think, listen, it's the same author. I used capital L, capital W because certainly John believes in Jesus as the Word and certainly he's also saying that Jesus is life. He is the life. And this life was manifested. He takes time in his prologue before he talks about this whole gospel to talk about the life of Jesus Christ. 
Because it's important that his humanity is important, and John is drawing this out. So we have, he's, he's physical, folks, and John just wants people to know that. It was important for John to establish the physical nature of Jesus Christ. So we have our Christian faith. It's, it's founded in the apostolic witness. It, we believe in the divinity. We believe in the humanity. That's our faith. But what about our fellowship? And, and the good news is, is, if you're looking at your watch like I'm looking at mine, I'm not spending nearly the amount of time on this one. Why? Because this is the rest of the first John. He's going to unpack some of this stuff. And this is the prologue. This is just the, the introduction. And he's tickling our ears to learn more and more about Jesus. But what about our Christian fellowship? We say that our Christian faith and fellowship must be anchored in the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. So we, we understand the faith part, right? We're all about knowing and believing what's right. But, but what about this fellowship thing? Why must our fellowship be anchored in Jesus' divinity and humanity? What is it about us as a group? Think about it. Does, does our ice cream social fellowship fall underneath this context, right? Are we talking about the times where we just get together and chit-chat? Well, our, our, the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ is important for us after the service as we're talking? Well, it is actually, but it's bigger than that. This word fellowship is actually the word koinonia in Greek. You've heard it. People have, uh, people have t-shirts made about it. and all. But it's a difficult word to translate, and you have to go with the context. And I think what we're discovering for, for John is this fellowship is this idea of people of like faith, people of, of like practice. But he's saying, basically, there's an essential aspect to our faith and practice, and it's centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. But it's not just the divinity Christ. It's not just Jesus as divinity or deity. It's Jesus as human. And, and, and he's going to draw this because we have the opportunity to fellowship with one another because of Christ. But why does it matter, right? Well, I think, what does light have to do with darkness? That's my way of saying, this is what Paul, excuse me, this is what John is going to introduce, introduce us to starting next week, this, this idea of darkness and light. But I think it's the undercurrent of the whole book in the sense of everything that, that John's going to, to teach us. He's going to say, listen, I want you to have joy with the Father. I want you to not sin. I want you to be all that God wants you to be. But you cannot be, you cannot walk in the light if you are still in your trespasses and sins. You need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So what does light have to do with darkness? Well, we see in 2 Corinthians 6, once again, Paul's writing, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Folks, as we consider the, fe the, the fellowship, having things in common, we need to examine our lives as Ricky and, um, oh my, what's her name? Sally. Wow. Sorry. All right. Where are you? I'm looking for you. I'm sorry. Um, that really threw me. All right. We need to, they were walking through, a, a pretend situation. But folks, listen, it's not about movies. It's about everything that we do in this world. We are called to be children of light 
And John's going to call us to that in both the gospel and in 1 John. And he says, listen, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer is nothing. For you are the temple of the living God. This is talking about us, folks. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. We have this thing going on in this thing called the church. And it's called fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And John's going to draw that out a little more deeply. Notice, God's people are to walk in the light. We are supposed to, in our fellowship, we are not supposed to be characterized by the things of the world. Remember in our community class, if I encourage you to take the community class. We make the distinction between the gospel plus community and the gospel revealing community. We want to be the gospel revealing community. We want people to see our community and praise God. All right? And if you want to know more about that, take the community class. All right? But John will pick up this theme next, next week. But somehow the humanity of Jesus is essential to Christian fellowship. And I think we'll learn more about this as we go through. Somehow, uh, the humanity of Jesus is central to Christian fellowship both with man and with God. Because John says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That's, that's the verb, right? That's the main verb. We declare to you. That, what are you declaring? We are declaring this for the purpose that you also may have fellowship with us. John was interested in all the people, all the Christians he's writing to, and having fellowship, unity, all, in, all things in common with John and all the apostles. He says, listen, we declare this, this humanity and di- divinity of Jesus so that uh, you may have fellowship with us, but even more so, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. There's, there's some aspect of this fellowship that we're going to be learning about that is impacting our relationship with one another, but also with our relationship with God. First of all, it's available to all those who come to faith. It's a beautiful thing. Somehow the humanity of Jesus is essential to Christian joy. Uh, John finishes off his prologue with this, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. These things we, there's the plural again, write to you, the recipients of the letter, that your joy, or your translation may say, our joy, it does not change the, uh, the intent of the message. John is saying, whether it's for your joy, for you to experience fullness in Christ, for you to experience the fellowship of believers, for you to speak, he goes, listen, I want you to be the children of God experiencing all the blessings of God. He says, that's what I want for you. And these things, all these things we write to you that you have joy. There is joy in the knowledge that John is communicating. And it's for their joy and, and, and the other translation would be our joy. That just means Paul's including himself in their joy. It's the joy of all believers. Paul just may be addressing it to them uh, as, a, as, a, as a group or he may just saying, hey, listen, all of us have this in common. We have all these things that we have talked about, the, the reality that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and that we've seen him, heard him, touched him. There is joy in this. What, what, you know, what, what kind of joy? What is the problem with failing to appreciate the humanity of Jesus Christ, right? 
well, we won't have the fullness of joy, that complete joy that is available to us. But, but for the most part, I could only think of one that would, I had the time to share this morning. So what is the problem with failing to appreciate the humanity of Jesus? We know if we deny his deity, we're, we're heathens, right? We're, it's her- heretical. But what about this, this humanity of Jesus? Well, and this is really, we're closing with this slide. If Jesus is not fully human, then he was not an appropriate substitute for us on the cross. And that has drastic implications for you and me. If Jesus isn't fully human when he died on that cross, then there was no substitute. Jesus had to be fully human to take our place on that cross. If he was just a a spirit that looked like flesh, then there was no sacrifice, which means we still have all of our sins on our account. That's bad news. The good news is he was fully God. He is fully God and fully man. And when he died on that cross, he paid for all sins of all time, yours and mine, and your grandchildren if he tarries, and your great-great-grandchildren. Until he comes, every sin is atoned for by his death. And then he was buried and he resurrected on the third day. He ascended into heaven and he's coming again. There is so much that we are going to learn through the study of 1 John about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So let's consider this as, as for today. Our Christian faith and fellowship must be anchored in the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. I know it may sound academic, but if you will meditate on this and meditate on the scriptures that teach this, your lives will be enhanced. Will be, you, you will truly understand the complete joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the encouragement it gives to us. As we are Christians living in the 21st century, we've come to faith as we know it. Based upon the teaching of, God, of your word, Father, we recognize that you have worked in the, through the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem us, to, to, to inform us about our redemption in Christ. But Father, we know that there are, the world is out there and they have all kinds of different Jesuses, all kinds of different Gospels, and they're all works of Satan. They're all distractions from the truth that can set people free. Father, if there are people in the hearing of my voice that are being drawn away to false Jesuses and false Gospels, Father, I pray that you would Call them to yourself so clearly and, and that they would recognize the error that's being put in their way. Father, I pray for my family. I pray for my family members. I pray for other family members of those uh, that are, again, in the hearing of my voice who are, who are believing in other Gospels and believing in other Jesuses. And, Father, we pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you would draw them to yourself. We love these people, Father. We want what's best for them, which is a relationship with you because of, through Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, they have not come to faith in you yet. Father, give us boldness, give us compassion, give us tact, give us the ability to communicate your word in such a way that when they hear it, you will draw them to yourself as we were once drawn by the power of the words of life. Father, we do not know what the future holds. But Father, you are giving us insight through your word to understand that the future holds 
fellowship with you for eternity. Help us to be those that will invite others to join us and help us to be those who genuinely fellowship in a way that glorifies you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.